Hey there, loves. I'm Allie Adair Chung, and this is The Conscious Family Project, where we take the insane amount of homeschooling, parenting, and family lifestyle information out there and break it down into simple, actionable steps that set your unique family up for success. It is time for your brave decisions to reap big rewards, for your family life to be brimming over with joy, for your relationships to be meaningful, connected, and fun, and for you to fully step into the freedom that the conscious family lifestyle has to offer. So, you're a new homeschooler. You have a plan, you're taking action, and then the lump starts to rise in your throat and everything feels like this uphill battle in the snow against gale force winds in super uncomfortable shoes. Ugh, you've hit deschooling. Let's break this down because it doesn't have to be as painful as it sounds. Deschooling is this idea that was first talked about by Ivan Elick. He was a basically an education philosopher in some way, I guess is the easiest way to describe him. It was also talked about a lot by John Holt and most current homeschooling gurus discuss deschooling in its form, in some form. Um, deschooling is the process of transferring the function of education from conventional institutional schools to non-institutional systems of learning, which are held to allow the student to develop more freely. That is the Webster's Dictionary definition of deschooling. What I like to think, or the way I like to describe it, is that deschooling is the process of unlearning the things you didn't realize you learned. So things like the way a test is supposed to look or feel, or the amount of hours something is supposed to take, and the really insidious one is the way we all are supposed to feel about learning. That it's hard work, that it's... um not happy work, um, but it's this daunting drudgery task that we have to do. So that's what de-schooling is. There's actually a formula for how long this process takes. Um, and it's about one month for every formal year of schooling, schooling. So for the average adult, you have to think that's at least a year, if not a year and a half that it takes to actually go through this process completely and be in a place where you can truly enjoy and take full advantage of everything that homeschooling has to offer. Younger kiddos can have a quicker transition, but even a kindergartner needs at least a month. And you prorate that if, if they've been in school less than a year, but I also am seeing so many preschools now that are very legalistic and more like traditional schools or institution schools, and so you may have to include that time. So give them grace, give yourself grace, it's a process. And now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk about what de-schooling looks like in action. Because if you're not aware of what it looks like, you might not know when you need to make adjustments and you could just end up feeling yucky and not really knowing why. So we're gonna start with this parents. So for parents, de-schooling can look like really stressing out over curriculum and picking the perfect one and the one that's going to do everything it needs to do and having word to the wise curriculum is not the thing that does the job curriculum is a tool um things like worrying about grade levels you know is this the right grade level are we on grade level are we at grade level are we below grade level grade level grade level grade level um and other things like grades how do i know if they're getting an a or b or c how do i know what do i do um, worrying about things like how many minutes, hours, and numbers of pages do we have to cover every day. It's this idea that there is a perfect way to do things and that there is a specific formula that has to be followed in order for learning to happen. 
that's when you, when you're really stressing about that stuff, that's when you know you've got to check yourself for some de-schooling that may need to happen. Notice how none of the things that I just mentioned, curriculum, grade levels, grades, minutes, hours, a number of pages, none of these things are about learning. None of these things are about growth. Um, not even about goal meeting. They're literally all markers of a system and they are created to keep that system accountable for the use of funds, whether those funds are public funds or tuition. And you look at, let's break this down even further. So grade levels, having kids sorted by their age is literally the only reason to do that is for simplicity on the part of the school. You have a system then you have some way of organizing all these people. Because it's interesting, As a when I was going through my credentialing program, one of the education philosophers and researchers that we learned the most about was Vygotsky. And Vygotsky talks about how the optimal um, position for learning is actually multi-age classrooms. And really, that's what happened before institution schools. We had the one-room schoolhouse where we had multi-ages learning together. And they actually find that, that the research that Vygotsky did showed that that was actually more beneficial than single grade level classrooms. So that exists, grade levels exist for the purpose of organizing a school and making things simpler. So then one teacher only needs to know the stuff for that one grade level. It's literally just an organizational tool. Grades like A, B, C, D, 90%, 80%. Okay, I'm going to challenge you on this one because I know that this is going to be really hard for some people, but if your child is getting C's or B's, it means that they only mastered a portion of the content. So they can actually move on and have only mastered half or less, or you know, let's say even 75% of what they needed to know, and they still move on. So that what ends up happening is the gap just gets bigger and bigger of what they don't know as time goes on. In homeschooling, you're able to use a 100% mastery model, which means that you know your kid knows what they need to know before you move on to the next thing. We're not, we're not having to, we don't have to have every standard met or prove that we touched on every standard because what's happening with grades is they're not actually meeting those standards, right? They're touching on all those standards and you need to meet at least 90% of them to get an A. It doesn't mean that you learned them all. It means that you touched on 90% and you were able to pass a test of it on 90% of them. Then you get an A. So those kiddos who are getting Bs and Cs, they're only getting about half of what's even being touched on. When you're homeschooling, um, you focus on the next thing, you make sure they master it, and then you move on. And so instead of as we get up into higher grades when we have to spend so much of the year um, in traditional school, so much of the year is spent reviewing. I'm sure you've all seen that, parents, where your kids come home at the beginning of the year and most of their stuff is review of last year. That's to catch the kids who didn't pick up on the stuff last time. And when you're homeschooling, you're not leaving that big open space in between what they know and where they're going next. So you actually have less and less to cover as time goes on. So if it takes a little more time to get those foundations in the beginning, you're actually not behind at all. And behind who? But that's a whole nother conversation. So um, 
sorry, <laughs> I got off track, but my point was not a single one of these things was designed specifically for the benefit of the child. In fact, the educational research, like I said with Vygotsky, says that it's not necessarily beneficial. But when you find yourself in a spiral, just totally freaking out over one of these issues, over something that I haven't mentioned yet, I want you to do something for me. I want you to pause and I want you to ask yourself a question. When you start to feel like you're just freaking out, stop and ask yourself this, how does this support my child in their education? How does this prepare them for an incredible life? And think it through. So one of my, one, an example that just came up with my own kiddo is we were doing, it was his end of the unit math test. And it, part of the test is oral, part of it's written, and then part of it is like manipulatives where he has to like do something in action to show he knows it. And for the oral part, he asked me if he could ride his bike while we did the oral part. And that little bubble came up inside me. My little, um, I hadn't de-schooled this enough, came up inside me and was like, oh, what? you can't ride a bike while we're doing a test. It's a test. You have to sit. It needs to be quiet. It has to be painful. It's a test. Um, But my son is six. And learning to, first of all, developmentally, it makes no sense for him to sit still and quiet um, to demonstrate learning. That's not how he learns best. And developmentally, it's not an appropriate ask. So if my my concern in that moment is not that he can sit still because that's not a goal for a six-year-old. My concern in that moment is, does he know the material? Well, he actually does better with his work when he's moving. So he was going to be able to show me better by doing his bike. So I let him do his bike and he got 100% on that portion. Now, as we got to the end, like question 25, he gave me this completely off the wall answer. And so I stopped him on the bike and was like, all right, dude, what math problem did you just do? And it was totally not what I had said. So he had to get off the bike and come focus with me because he lost his ability to focus. But we were able to make those changes. The point of this though, is that my first reaction to it was absolutely not because all of the time I spent in school, tests had to look a certain way. Now again, let's go back to this on the perspective of a teacher and a school room with you know, 40 kids who all learn differently, who all share their learning differently, and who all have to accomplish this task to show that that teacher has done what they need to do. If you let everybody in that room do what they need to do to demonstrate their learning, it would be very difficult to manage as one teacher. You may have kids who need quiet and like to sit in the corner and like fill out their paper, while you have kids who wanna ride their bicycle and kids who wanna give the answers orally. One teacher can't do that. When you homeschool, you can. Now, the worry that always comes up with people is, but they have to learn to do that for the real world. Here's the thing. Do they? Because when you ask a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight, 12-year-old to sit still for long periods of time, we're not, we're not asking, it's not a fair ask, like I said before, but also it's not a skill they need at those ages. You don't need that skill of sitting and, you know, being mature and listening and working at work all day until you're older. And when you're older and you're doing those kinds of jobs, your brain is designed to be able to do that. So there's no benefit to forcing it at an age where it's not appropriate. They're not going to be incapable of sitting through the SAT because at the age of six or seven or eight or 10, I didn't make him sit to do the oral portion of his math test. That's just not real. 
but we have been taught even subconsciously that this is a thing and so we can get wrapped up in it and start creating more work and problems than we need to so make sure you pause and ask yourself how does this support my child in their education and how does this prepare them for an incredible life because having my son forcing my son to sit there wasn't going to prepare him for anything making sure he knows the content and that his brain can access fluency, math facts fluently and quickly, that is going to serve him in life. All right. The other thing I want to tell you is, so I ha- I got my bachelor's degree in leadership and organizational studies, and which I know is like a weird off-the-wall degree, but I loved it so much. And we studied leadership and great leaders and what made them great leaders. And one of my most favorite people that we studied was Robert Kane Greenleaf. And his theory and what he did all of his research and writings around was um, the idea of servant leadership. And servant leadership is this idea of, um, as a leader, making sure that the people who you're in charge of are getting what they need to be successful. Instead of like a dictatorial model where you're going to be like telling everybody what they do and managing them and you know moving them through systems, a servant leader is looking for ways of supporting people so that they can achieve their best. Um, and I just love this model. And when you begin homeschooling and you're working so closely with your children, it really serves you and them to kind of take on this servant leadership model um, arrangement when you're working with your kiddo because we are serving them, not in the way of being at their beck and call, not like that. We're serving them in that we're giving them the environment and the tools and the support and encouragement so that they can grow and become their best. Another part of Robert K. Greenleaf's system that I just loved was he had this thing called the best test. And I'm, I'm getting to a point here, guys, I promise. I'm not just giving you a leadership lesson. But this best test, I think, can be really helpful when you're really dissecting whether something is truly necessary for education and for doing the best for your child, or if it's something that you need to work through and let go of as something that was a part of institution school. If it's really something that needs to be ditched with de-schooling or something that's going to serve you. And this was his best test. Do those being served grow as persons? Do they, while being served, become healthier, freer, wiser, more autonomous, and more likely to become leaders themselves? Wow, right? I hope that was a wow for you. I loved this. It was such a wow moment for me because as I think about and I come up against these de-schooling gremlins (laughs) and I pause and I check in, if my check-in is... You know, we talked about, does this serve their education? Does it help them have an incredible life? But when I break it down even further in this and go, okay, wait, does this really help them become healthier, freer, wiser, more autonomous or independent, right? And more likely to become leaders? Do they grow because of this thing? If the answer to that is no, then why on earth are you spending your time and energy on it? That's not what we want. We, what in this, it, I, I look at this and I'm like, what's missing? What's something that here that I feel like might be missing that I want for my kiddo and I can't find it. So if something comes up that I am spending tons of time and energy worrying about or trying to make happen and it's not a yes in this best test, it's not worth my time and energy. It's not worth my stress. It's not worth, um, an argument with my child over if it's not moving them closer to these things. 
think about that healthier, freer, wiser, more autonomous, more likely to be leaders, grow as persons. I mean, what a beautiful way to check in and make sure that you are giving your child the optimal education. So I encourage you guys to maybe even, you know what I'll do? I will make you guys a printout of Robert K. Greenleaf's best tests that you can print and put up in your house somewhere so you can check in on yourself on this. I'll make it a, a download at the in the show notes here. So make sure you grab it after because I just feel like this is such a game changer as we're going through this process to check in and just see if this thing that I'm fighting so hard for, so hard against, is really worth it in the end. All right, so that's for us parents. Now I wanna talk about what it looks like for our teenagers. You're gonna be so surprised. I mean, just brace yourself. It's an emotional journey, ha ha ha. Surprise, surprise, right? What's not an emotional journey for our teenagers who are just managing and growing and learning so much about life? So one thing I wanna tell you to do, if you really wanna see an image of a, a homeschooler, like a high schooler going through or a teenager going through the de-schooling process, the documentary called Class Dismissed is um, a perfect way to see this. If you pay attention to the teenager in it, it's basically, it's a documentary about a family who's been in institution school for the majority of their career. Um, mom pulls out her um, high schooler and her late elementary, maybe beginning junior high, I don't remember, um, to homeschool, and they decide to go the unschooling route. And it takes a while for um, the teenager to go through this process. At first, she's excited and she's um, you know, looking forward to all the things that she gets to do now that she's homeschooling. But after a while, she starts to get lost and angry. And this all happens before she finds a way, finds a voice for her passion and her interests. And this is what you're going to see. You're going to see a phase where either your kid is not doing much of anything or they're kind of fighting against it. They may ask to go back to school. And a lot of this has to do with um, if they've been in school their whole career up till high, up until high school, um, they have never had the opportunity to decide what they're doing with their days. They have always had to accomplish things that were someone else's goal. They haven't had this much control over their life yet. And at first, it can be really overwhelming. You don't know what you wanna do. Um, and that freedom can be a little scary at first. And so some kids really struggle getting through this process. Um, There's some things that you can do to support them, but just know that it can happen. It can happen. It doesn't mean it will for sure. It doesn't mean they're gonna, it's not, it's also not this horribly dramatic thing. I don't wanna give you like, um, I don't want to scare any of you. Just know that there is a process that they have to go through as they um, as they learn to find their voice and find um, what they really want to do. Um, there's these models of schools called open school or Sudbury schools. And I've heard a couple of interviews with teachers from these schools. And these schools are very open and, and student-led. And when they have a student come in from um, institution schools, they were saying in these interviews that I heard that they can tell to the day how long the the child or the teenager will do nothing before they figure it out and they start actually um, taking ownership of their learning. And it really is just this process. They have to go through this process and they're going to 
Um, they're going to have to, you know, take advantage of it a little bit and not do anything for a while and decompress from institution schooling as they learn their way through really voicing their interests and passions and taking initiative and doing the things that they're capable of doing. I do want to note that um, if you control the environment in every way like school does, that will only prolong this process. It may, um, it may even actually prevent the positive outcome if you have too much controlled. So you do want to include them. You want to make sure that they're able to explore their interests as they go through this. It will probably go against every fiber of your being. And just like birth, the outcome will be completely worth it. I promise. They do need some time and grace to do school just like you do. And um, you can absolutely encourage them by making sure that you are having open conversations about what they want to learn and putting them in the way of resources that will help them explore those ideas. I talk a lot about getting a big white sheet of paper out when you start homeschooling and having everybody brained up the things that they've always wanted to learn. So I'm not suggesting that you sit back and do nothing, you, but you do need to give them space to figure it out. It will be okay, I promise. All right, now for children. Young children in particular, um, but all children in general, need predictability. And so going from an institution school environment where absolutely every part of their day is, known, is a known quantity that is very um, controlled and predictable can be a little overwhelming at first. So it's going to take them a minute to adjust. But having a rhythm in place that holds a lot of white space, and when I say white space, I mean like a lot of room where it's not super organized, but it's a part of the rhythm, so it feels like it's a part of the structure, will help smooth this transition. So <clears throat> you wanna make sure you're focusing your time on connecting activities and that you're modeling as much as possible all the possibilities for them now that they're homeschooling. So when they do get excited about something or they want to learn about something, help them find resources, help them explore it, help them to see all the benefit that can come from this. And then having that rhythm in place so they know that there is a rhythm to the day, there is some predictability, they know when things are going to, going to happen, it'll help smooth them into this. So all of this to say you're going to go through the de-schooling process. It is unavoidable if you aren't already going through it. But it's normal and it's really, it's necessary in order to truly enjoy the freedom that you now have. It may be hard to see all of the possibilities available to you right now as you're working through this, but you will soon and I am so excited for you guys. It will be, it's pretty incredible to see what kids and families come up with on the other end. And if you do need some encouragement, I really encourage you to find some families on social media or blogs to follow or YouTube videos and see what families who've homeschooled the whole time or who have been homeschooling for a long time, see what their kids are up to. See what that family is doing and accomplishing in their day. You will get to see how much this process, how much value this process has on the other end. So just trust that it's normal, that it's okay, check back in with yourself, use the best test, make sure that when you are starting to worry and stress that it's something that's worthy of your time. And when your kiddos, your, your teenagers are working through this, encourage them to really explore what they want to learn about, what they're interested in, help them find resources for their passions. And for your younger, younger kiddos, 
Encourage play as much as you can. Build a rhythm that allows them to have tons of creative time. All of these things are gonna smooth your transition through the de-schooling process, and it will help you get to what your incredible other end of the rainbow is for homeschooling, because it's going to be different for each and every one of you. I know homeschoolers who run their own businesses, who have successful consulting things going, or um, websites and YouTube channels, um, kids who, you know, by the time they're 10 have read thousands of books. There's so many incredible things artists and um, families who travel, fam- uh, kids who are running nonprofits, families that are running businesses and nonprofits together. Seriously, you guys, the sky is the limit. But in order to see that and find what your sky is, you're going to have to go through this process. And it's okay. I'm here for you. I know you can do this. I know that it's going to be worth it. So just take a breath check in with yourself and enjoy your kids. Enjoy the ride. It's going to be a great one. Hey friends, if you'd like to continue this conversation or you're looking for more resources, be sure to head to my website at aliadarechung.com. You can also go to the show notes for this episode to find great free resources and my Instagram and Facebook handle. I can't wait to connect with you.